You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, blessed Epiphany, it's rare that we get to celebrate it on a Sunday. Normally it's 7 o'clock at night and we're considering the text of the wise men, but a joy that we have it on Sunday this year. To consider this text and this season and the wonders of Jesus being shown forth to the Gentiles. The epistle lesson talks about the mystery of Jesus. And I think this text is part of it. In fact, I I think this is a, a very mysterious gospel text where our imagination can run wild. There's all these things that happen before the text, and then all of this fallout that comes later after the text. I mean, consider, for example, just for a few minutes, the star. What in the world was the star? And how is it that a star appeared whenever Jesus was born? And how is it that wise men, the text says wise men, the Greek there is magi, which is the word from which we get the word magic, they're magicians, or apparently godly and Christian magicians, but how did they know that the appearance of this star was the indication of the birth of the Messiah in Jerusalem? But who are these wise men? And how did they have this divine insight? Some people think that uh, maybe they, uh, that Daniel would have received some sort of, uh, some sort of um, revelation and that he taught it to the people who had preserved the tradition for all this time. But then here they come, and they're willing to come all the way from the east and travel all the way to Jerusalem, trusting trusting this star and knowing that the Christ was there and they were going to worship him. Or consider, on the other side, here's Herod. We talked about Herod a few weeks ago. Herod was an utterly wicked man. So, so wicked that the slaughter of the innocents, which happens right after our text, is not even recorded in the history books about Herod because he was so busy killing everybody else, his children, his wives, his brothers. Here's this man who was elected by the Senate in Rome to be the king of the Jews. And the wise men come to him asking to find the one who was born the king of the Jews. Or consider how it was that Jerusalem was troubled, the text says. Not not just Jerusalem was troubled. All of Jerusalem was troubled. But Matthew doesn't tell us by what. Were they troubled by the wise men? I mean, we normally think it's just three guys coming in on a camel, but when you travel back in those days, and especially if you have all of this wealth that you're bringing with you, you don't travel by yourself. You have guards and servants and traveling companions, and so this would have been a huge company that would have come in Jerusalem. And is that what troubled all of Jerusalem? Or is all of Jerusalem troubled by the fact that they know that that Herod is not going to like this request to find the king of the Jews? I mean, the, the, the Jews in Jerusalem know that Herod will kill with the slight, without the slightest provocation. He'll just knock people's heads off or poison them or do whatever. And so is that why they're afraid? We don't exactly know. And then there's the mystery of the scribes and the the rulers of the people there in Bethlehem who could see the star at least at some point. I mean, this wasn't a mysterious star that was only visible to the wise men. They see the star. They believe the wise men that this indicates the birth of the Christ. They know that it's in Jerusalem, but they don't go down to see what's going on. It's really quite incredible. And then there's the things that happen during the text and kind of fall out 
after the text that are also very mysterious. I mean, there is this intrigue with Herod. While Herod will talk publicly to the people in some parts of the text, but then in other places he calls the wise men together to talk to them secretly, especially to determine what time the star appeared, apparently so he can know how old this Messiah is, so that when he goes to do his wicked killing of all the children in Bethlehem, he'll, he'll be able to get it right. Or then there's these dreams the dream that the wise men have that sends them not back to Jerusalem to report back to Herod, but rather to flee a different way to their own country. And the dream that Joseph has that tells him to take Jesus and Mary and go down to Egypt to avoid the slaughter. And then there is this whole issue of the slaughter of the children of Bethlehem. Some people say that the size of Bethlehem back in this day would indicate that maybe uh, 12, 13, 14 children of this age would have been there and they would have all been killed by the wickedness and jealousy of Herod. A wickedness that he had kept secret from these wise men, but that God revealed to them. It's a, it's a very intriguing text. I mean, there's so much to consider and think about. But the center of the text, and I think it might be, which is wonderful, it might be easy to miss the very center of the text. And it is this. In the middle of all of this political intrigue and in the midst of all of this astrological phenomenon and in the midst of all of these things, there is a little baby in the arms of his mother. The center of this text is Jesus, which is astonishing because he's just a baby, because he's not doing anything. <laughs> But these magi come to worship him. Luther says in his sermon on Epiphany, he says, as soon as the star appeared over Jerusalem to lead them down to Bethlehem, that everyone in Jerusalem should have crawled to Bethlehem on their knees to worship this baby. But they didn't. It's only these magi, these wise men, with their faith and with their wealth, going to worship Jesus. And this is the lesson that we learn in the text. I mean, this is why we have this text today on Epiphany. Luther, again, says that the people who should have been there to worship this baby, the people see these wise men, and instead of understanding them as wise, they would have said of them, what great fools. <laughs> and I suspect that Luther is right. Because there is nothing about Jesus that is kingly or divine or in any way indicates that he should be worshipped. Except, I suppose, the star that is over the manger. But everything about this little boy points to the opposite. He's born there of a mother who's not yet even married to her husband. He, he's not in a, uh, he's not in a, born in a palace or in a place for kings, but rather in a stable, in a manger. And now he's in this humble house. If you were out that night in Bethlehem and you were out walking the dog and you walked by, and you walked by this little house and you saw the door open and there's a bunch of camels out front, and you walked by the door and you see these men dressed in these rich robes 
with all laden with all of these gifts, and they're there with their face to the floor in front of this baby, you would have thought the same thing. What great fools. What in the world are these men doing? But it's precisely in this that the wise men teach us wisdom. Wisdom is to worship. Wisdom is to worship Jesus. They they weren't worried that everyone said they should be worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. They knew better. They weren't worried that there was a man who lived in a palace in Jerusalem who claimed to be the king of the Jews. They knew better. Guided by the star and by the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit, they, they could see past the outward humility and know that this baby was God in the flesh. That this child was the Savior. And these men had faith. And they were saved. Perhaps... Perhaps the only thing that would be a little bit more foolish than these three or however many there were, these wise men coming and falling and worshiping before this baby Jesus would be if they would have waited for 33 years. And when this same Jewish baby, now after he had grown, was arrested and tried uh, and, and uh, condemned, he was stripped and whipped and nailed to a cross and hanging there. I mean, if there's anything that looks less like God than this baby in the arms of his mother, perhaps it's this, the man on the cross. But still there we worship, looking beyond what we see and knowing what is real, that this is God, our Savior, And perhaps the only thing more foolish than that, than falling down at the cross and worshiping a condemned criminal, would be to do what you guys are about to do and come up to this altar and kneel down before this bread and this wine. I don't know if our we have friends that are walking the dog outside this morning. But if they were to peek through the window, they would have the same reaction that the people of Bethlehem had to the wise men, looking at you, standing here, holding out your hand, or opening your mouth to receive this bread and this wine. What great fools. But the wise men teach us wisdom. And they teach us faith. That under this thing that looks like bread and tastes like bread and looks like wine and tastes like wine is perhaps the greatest gift of all, the body and the blood of Jesus, who is Christ, who is your King, and who is your Savior. What great fools, indeed, what great fools. Paul says, if we are foolish, it is for the sake of Christ, who has handed us over to God's wisdom and God's peace. Now, one more thing. I think Luther is right in diagnosing how the people of his day and how the unbelieving world would look at the Magi and their faith and consider it foolish. But I think, dear saints, that 
Perhaps we're ready to enter an age and a time in the world where our Christian faith is not just considered foolish, but dangerous. This is how it was when the wise men entered into Jerusalem and the people were, were afraid and trembled. And I don't know if you have begun to have this sense of the way that things are going in the world, but that people don't consider your faith in Christ and His resurrection and His coming. They don't, they don't just consider it now to be foolish, but perhaps even a little bit more pernicious, perhaps even dangerous. There was great fear in Jerusalem when a few Christians came from the east. And I suspect that the days are coming, if they're not already, already here, that your faith in Christ will be considered dangerous because people, unbelievers, will consider it to bring turmoil, to bring violence, to bring a lack of peace. In fact, the accusation has already been raised that religion and religious faith is the cause of all war and violence in the world. And so you, having faith in Christ, will be considered a violent and dangerous person. But again, the wise men teach us what wisdom is. That Jesus who takes upon himself your flesh and your blood, Jesus who takes upon himself your sin and the punishment for your sin, Jesus in the arms of his mother Mary and, and hanging on the cross and here on the altar placed into your very mouth, Jesus is peace. He is peace between you and God. And he is peace between brother and brother. So, let the world call us fools, or let the world call us dangerous. Whatever it would be, we rejoice in Christ. And we find in Epiphany and in every other text that the gospel delivers to us, we find that Jesus also delights in you. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org.
www.aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.